0: If you have your Bible, why don't you turn to Nehemiah, uh, the book of Nehemiah, chapter, chapter 8. Uh, we were in Nehemiah not too long ago. We're going to look at chapter 8 now. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for, for this day. Thank you for this time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and to celebrate your goodness. Uh, thank you for Pastor Don and Kelly and the Kinder family and your blessing upon them and the seed and the faithfulness that they've planted in this place and the fruit that has been born as a result of their obedience and their ministry. Bless them. Bless this time in the Word, we pray, uh, and may it be used, O oh God, to, to help us follow after you passionately and bring you all the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen. amen. All right, I'm going to read the first 10 verses. It's, uh, these verses are kind of long. There's a lot of names in these verses that I will probably skip over. If you're interested in these names, you can go read them later. For the men and the women and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for that purpose, and beside him stood all these people. (laughs) Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then all of these people. (laughs) All these folks caused the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. Verse 8, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is... Shatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want to share a message with you this morning I've entitled, The Amen Attitude, Uh, we all know that attitudes matter, uh, and uh, we all know that someone's attitude can either make or break a situation. How many of you will agree with that? How many of you know someone who's got a bad attitude? How many of you have a bad attitude? God bless you. Thank you. How many of you people know people have good attitudes, positive attitudes, right? Don't they make you sick? Aren't you tired of them? But we all, we, I mean, we all know those people, and at, at times, we are both of those people, right? At times, we have positive attitudes. At times, we have negative attitudes. Most of the time, we lean one way or another. There's always people that see certain things a certain way. I see the glass half empty. I see the glass half full. It's how you depend on how you see the world, and I understand all that. But attitude really is important. We know uh, that based upon a person's attitude, you can almost know what the end result of something's going to be. If, something goes, if somebody goes into something with a good attitude, with a positive attitude, there's a good chance that they're going to succeed. Uh, if they go into it with a bad attitude, a negative attitude, there's a good chance they're not going to succeed. They're probably going to give up because you can normally know what the result's going to be just by someone's attitude. And we know how it can affect the very atmosphere of a room. Uh, when you've got people in a room that are positive, they've got a lot of energy, they've got, yeah, we can do this. Everything's different, isn't it? But when you've got, you know, negative Nancy over in the corner who's always, well, you got to worry about this, and what about that, you know, and you want to stone them, Uh, you know how it affects the atmosphere. Uh, Lou Holtz said, ability is what you're capable of doing. Motivation determines what you do, and attitude determines how well you do it. And that's the truth. Because we can't control a lot of things in our lives. We all know that. But we can't control how we respond to what happens in our life. And you've all heard that. We can all we can all control the attitude that we have. Some of you might say, well, I was born with this bad attitude. Well, get born again. And your attitude can change, right? Yeah, that's the truth. I was raised this way. You know, I'm Italian, so I got a temper. Well, okay, then get saved. And, and we'll, you know... It all, it's all a matter of, of what you want to see change in your life, right? Uh, I can't control necessarily what's going to happen to me, but I can tra- change the attitude and how I see it and how I respond to it and what I do. Because attitude always affects how we see the world and how we see other people. It affects uh, how we respond to life, how we respond to the person that's, and the circumstance and the situation or the stress that we find ourselves under, all of this is determined by our attitude. And our responses to these things will be an indication of our hearts. Our responses reveal our character. They show our integrity or lack thereof. How we respond to someone or, or something will indicate what we think is important and worthy of our time and our effort. Have you ever talk to someone and you can tell they're just waiting for you to get done so they can say what's on their mind? You ever talk to anyone like that? I mean, there's those people that you know you could just be rambling about nothing because they're not listening to a word you're saying. They're just waiting for you to get done. And if you don't get done soon enough, they'll just interrupt you. Right? How we respond to people and how we respond to issues shows what we think is important. It shows what we find valuable or even fulfilling or even fun, to be honest with you. Our... Attitudes show what makes us happy, what we look forward to, what makes us joyful. Now, I mean, I know there are some people that are just mad all the time. You know, they just have that attitude no matter where they are what they're doing or what's happening. You know, a million dollars could float out of the sky and it'll be, well, I'm going to die tomorrow. You know, because it's always something. Right? There's always that attitude. John Maxwell said, people hear your words, but they feel your attitude. They hear your words, but they feel your attitude. And that doesn't that carry a lot of weight. They can hear what you're saying, but they pick up on the attitude behind what you're saying. Women, how many of you don't like it when men refer to you as sweetheart? (laughs) Well, sweetie, isn't it? It's somewhat condescending, right? Now, I mean, if your husband calls you sweetheart or sweetie, I guess that's okay. But a lot of guys will like to, oh, oh, sweetie. I understand. It could be very condescending. It's not what you just said. It's how you said it. It's the attitude in which it comes across, right? Here in Nehemiah, we see the story of refuge, that refugees who had returned after they had been put under uh, captivity. They were taken under captivity by the, the Babylonians, and they were carried off to uh, the Babylonian Empire. At this point in time, the Persians have already ruled over them, and so they went through a series of different um, Kingdoms and cultures that they had to live under, and so this is a story about some of these captivities under the leader, uh, captives under the leadership of Nehemiah, Ezra, and some of the Levites uh, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So they come back to Jerusalem. Nehemiah, the book starts out; he's in mourning because somebody comes back and tells him that the city, the walls, lie in ruin, and because the walls lie in ruin, the great city of Jerusalem is. Uh, open to attack and and nobody can live there because it's not safe, it's not protective. And so Nehemiah literally gets permission from the king to go back and build the walls of Jerusalem. And so they face a lot of opposition. We talked about this in a sermon not too long ago. They faced a lot of opposition from Sanballat and all of his friends and how they tried to stand against them and keep them from building the wall. They had to be motivated a little bit under the uh, The preaching of the prophets of Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. They all came along and and pushed them and motivated them to to continue work when they wanted to quit. And they had this attitude adjustment that took place under these prophets, right? So at one point, even Haggai had told them, hey, listen, you guys are at home building your house while the temple of God lies in ruins, right? You're going to end up putting money in bags with holes in them, right? Uh, Because their, their attitude needed to be adjusted about what God had called them to do. And so chapter 8 is really the first organized church service in the city after the walls have been rebuilt. They finally rebuilt the walls. All the people gathered together in the street. And this is the first time they've gathered together to hear the law of God be read. And what we see here is an amazing attitude towards the Word of God and the God that the Word reveals. Because, note, you have to understand the excitement of these people. They had not been able to organize under the teaching of the law for quite some time. They had been captives. And so here they are, the first time having a certain level of freedom to gather together to hear God's word. And verse 6 of this chapter says that Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. The people responded. To the praise of God with an Amen attitude. They responded to the reading of the law with an attitude of Amen. Now, what, what does it mean to say, what does it mean to say amen? Amen is derived from a Semitic root that actually means firm, fixed, or sure. The related Hebrew verb means to be reliable or to be trusted. The Greek Old Testament, which is also known as the Septuagint, but the Greek Old Testament translates amen as so be it. And it's also used as verily or truly. So when Jesus says verily, verily, he's actually saying amen, amen. So be it, so be it is what he's saying there. So to say amen is not just the punctuation at the end of your prayer. Amen or amen, depending on how you say it. I remember, I think it was, was it? Was it Don Thompson that he got in the middle of? He was in the middle of saying, he was responding to one of Dad's sermons, and he kind of mixed yes and amen together, and it came out as yes, men. (laughs) Amen is not just a punctuation to the end of our prayer, nor is it something that we shout out to show how spiritual we are during a sermon or or whatever. Exactly. Amen. (laughs) Because, I mean, you can use amen in a non religious sense, right? Even in secular senses, they'll say amen to that brother or whatever. Amen to that. Because what you are saying there is that not only do, do we agree with what, what is being said, but it also means that we believe that what is being said is firm, it's fixed, it's sure. That what is being said is reliable and can be trusted. That what you're hearing, that what you're hearing someone say or what you're hearing somebody pray, you know it's sure, it's fixed, it's reliable, it's trustworthy. And it means that we are aligning ourselves with that truth. When we say amen, we are saying, so be it. Let that reality be my reality. I don't know if you knew all of this when you were saying amen. But when you say amen, you are literally aligning your life with what that truth that has been spoken, as it hits your heart, you're aligning your heart with that truth by saying, so be it. So be it unto me. Just as Mary said to the angel, let it be unto me even as you have said. What was Mary saying? She was saying amen. Amen to what you're saying, angel. Amen to the promise. Amen to the miracle. Amen to the work of God. Amen to what God has said about my life. So be it. Let the reality of God's word be a part of our lives. And so when we end our prayer with amen, we are saying, let what I prayed become a reality. Let what I just prayed, so be it. So be the will and the purpose of God. So be the advancement of the kingdom of God. So be the exaltation of Jesus Christ in my life. Amen, so be it. The men said, All the people gathered said, amen, amen. It's an attitude toward God and his word that aligns our hearts with his will and his purpose. Amen is literally a word of surrender. And it's when we approach God and his word with this attitude that we place ourselves in a position to truly receive and truly be blessed. Many times we miss out on what God is doing in our lives because of our attitude towards His Word. Our attitude determines our response, which leads to either surrendered obedience or damaging disobedience. How we respond to what God's Word says and how we respond to the promises of God, how we respond to the commandments of God are either going to put us in a place of blessing as a result of obedience or it's going to damage our lives because of disobedience. We all know that the world does not necessarily take an amen attitude towards the Bible. There used to be a time that the Bible was respected, whether you were a saint or a sinner. There was a time where people, whether they were church folk or non-church folk, they respected what the Bible said. You could tell someone, well, the Bible says this, and people would listen. Or if somebody asked you a question, and you could say, well, the Bible says so, and people would say, okay, makes sense. Whether they followed Christ or not, it at least grabbed their attention, but we know that we don't live in a culture like that anymore. What used to be a safety net for our society and what used to be an underpinning for cultural values has now been removed, it's been mocked, it has been derided because we live in a culture that's becoming more and more antagonistic towards Scripture. Attitudes have changed and so has people's responses to that word. When we refuse to respond to the truth of God's Word, we place ourselves in spiritual and moral danger. When our responses to God's Word puts us in a place where we're no longer hearing and our attitude towards His Word is not one of so be it in my life, then we place ourselves in a position of spiritual and moral danger. In our culture, the farther we move away from Scripture, the farther we move away from the Bible, Romans chapter 1, if you want to look at our world, if you want to look at the culture that we look at, live in, you can look at Romans chapter 1. And as Paul points out, the farther we, wait, we move away from God, the more we will make something else God. And I believe that's why politics has become more divided than ever, why people are as passionate about politics as they are about religion, because politics has become the new religion. And it's not, it's not just left or right. It's not just Christian or non-Christians. It's infiltrated the church. We have literally gotten confused between what is the kingdom of God and what is politics. We've got confused between who's our savior and who's the president of the United States. And they're not the same person. We live in a culture that has moved away from the underpinning, the safety net that used to be there that kept us together. Our, our nation is, is dividing. Not only It's not even just that we've, we've walked away from, from God or Judeo-Christian values. You can disagree with all that if you want to, but we've literally just walked away from simple belief systems that at one time held us all together, whether you were a liberal or conservative, a Democrat or a Republican. We've walked away from that, and once you take away that underpinning, you put yourself in danger. Even as Christians, we are in danger of developing the wrong attitude to the Word of God and then responding incorrectly to it. When we approach the Word with a take-it-or-leave-it attitude, we don't recognize the internal importance of it. And Some of you are like, well, I don't approach the Word with take-it-or-leave-it, but we really do sometimes. We read a Bible verse if we like it, we highlight it, underline it, put it on Facebook, everybody knows how holy we are. But when we read a Bible verse we don't like, oh, we just skip over it. We justify it. We come up with some other reason. We look at a different translation. Must be the Greek, the Hebrew. Must be something wrong there, right? We just skip over it. We just move on. We take it or we leave it. It's a smorgasbord. Let me pick what I want from the Bible. That's that's why I've always I, I always I have issues sometimes with just memorizing a Bible verse or just putting a Bible verse on your refrigerator. Or, or, or bumper stickers, bumper sticker Christianity, where we live from phrase to phrase and from verse to verse, verses that are taken completely out of context and not even used correctly. And, and because of that, we don't approach the Word of God with a heart that desires to receive, a heart that desires to learn, a heart that desires to be challenged and to be convicted. That when I pick up my Bible, I recognize that not only may it bring me joy, it might convict me. I heard somebody say one time, well, I didn't come to church to feel bad. Well, then repent. (laughs) And you won't feel bad anymore. (laughs) I mean, I understand. You know, you can preach sermons all the time, just beat people up, and I I understand that. But truth is truth, and sometimes it doesn't always make you feel good. Now, does it? Sometimes it makes you feel bad. If you're coming to church because you just want to be slathered and, and told how wonderful you are and all puffed up, and you're just beautiful. Well, then you're probably not hearing the truth. Because some of you aren't beautiful. (laughs) We approach the Word of God with a desire to receive, learn, be challenged, be convicted. When we do that, it's easy. If we don't, I'm sorry, if we don't do that, then it makes it easy to make the Bible secondary to everything else to make the Word of God secondary to everything else. We've been talking <clears throat> for a while now about the challenge of our faith and how our faith is going to be challenged, whether it's by circumstances, trials, whether it's by the enemy, or, or by our culture, by our society that doesn't believe the Bible, whether it's an atheistic, agnostic attitude that's going to question everything that we believe or cause us to question what we believe. You better believe, you better know that your faith is going to be challenged. And if our faith is not rooted in an attitude, an amen attitude towards the Word of God, then it's going to cause us to shake and crumble when the winds start to blow. Look at the amen attitude of these folks. The first thing that we see here is that they actually desired to hear. There in verse 1, it says, They all gathered as one man, and they told Ezra, Bring out the book of the law, man. We want to hear what you have to say. And it said, those who could understand, the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. They didn't come to this reading of the law expecting to hear what they wanted to hear. They just wanted to hear what God had to say. And they came excited about it. They they came hungry for it. They came with the desire to hear what God had to say. I want to know what you have to say, God. I want to know what your opinion is. I want to know how you see the world. I want to know what you think about me. I want to know. I want to hear. You know, it doesn't take much to read the book of Psalms and see the hunger of David as he pursues God and pursues God's word. If you've never read Psalm 119, read it. It's 176 verses. You go through that chapter and it's it's just David's love affair with the word of God. And how much he desires God's law. And how much he desires God's commands. He prays as as the deer pants after the water brook. So my soul pants after you, O God. It's this deep-seated desire that's missing from the church. It's this deep-seated desire that says, God, I just want to hear your word. I don't need something to tickle my ears or make me feel good. I want to hear truth. I want to hear word. I want to hear doctrine. I want to hear my life rooted in the truth and the foundations of what God has to say. Let me hear what you say, God. Comfortable or uncomfortable. Let me hear what you've got to say. The people desired to hear. And then number two, they stood. Why did they stand? They stood in honor of the word of God being preached. I I know there's some pastors and and evangelists that do this. They'll have everybody in the congregation stand as they read the Bible. And I don't have any problem with that. I don't necessarily believe it has to be done. I mean, we can do all kinds of things that are religious. But the point of the matter is not even necessarily that they stood. It was the attitude. It was the attitude of honor. I mean, the Bible says that he read it from morning until midday. Now, I don't know when morning was for them, but they were out there probably for four hours at least, standing, listening to the Bible. They weren't even watching a movie, right? They weren't even at a concert. The praise team wasn't up there with lights flashing and everybody in a smoke machine and everybody singing their favorite song. They stood for the word. The Word. They stood to hear the law of God because it, it found they honored what was being said. They honored what was being heard. They believed that what was being said was worthy of their attention and worthy of their heartfelt acceptance. We still do this in, in, in this day and age. We stand to honor people. People of honor, people of importance, we will stand, we we will honor them. What an honor to stand for the word of God. And it's going to take that, it's going to take a stand by the church. It's going to take a stand by the church to say we still stand upon the unshakable, unchanging word of God. Number three, they lifted their hands why do we lift our hands? What is, what is this a sign of? Surrender. It's a sign of surrender. Now, again, I don't know that they lifted their hands the whole time they read, and my arms would fall off, right? I remember when I was at World Harvest Bible College, we were in a worship class, and uh, the guy that was teaching it didn't normally teach it, and he was a little weird. Um, and he challenged us all to lift our hands while we were worshiping God. So, you know, we, we, all, we all lifted our hands. There was probably 30, 40 of us in there in that classroom. It was over in Harvest Hall. It was at Harvest Hall. And so it was over there, and we had our hands up. And, you know, he kept yelling at us to keep our hands up, you know, keep your hands up. And then he made the statement that if your arms are getting tired, that means that you don't worship Jesus much. And I'm like, no, it just means my body's not made to function like this. After that statement, I was like, nah, all righty. Um, but the lifting of the hands is a it's an act of surrender. It's a it's, I give up. Here I am. And, and and when you're lifting your hands up, you're basically saying, I, I've got nothing I've got nothing here. This is all I have this is all I have to give. You know, in, in, in a battle or in a war, somebody lifts their hands or says, Look, I don't I have no weapons. I'm waving a white flag here. I'm, I'm, I'm done, right? It's like when you have a cat or a dog, you know, and you walk up to them and they just roll over. You know, I'm done, right? I surrender. I surrender. And that's what the lifting of the hands was to the Word of God. I surrender to what's being said. I surrender to what's being said. I surrender to the parts that make me shout, and I surrender to the parts that make me say, ouch. I surrender. I surrender to every part of God's law, His promises and His commands. I surrender. I surrender to all His blessings. I surrender to all His warnings. I surrender. My arms are getting tired already just doing that. I surrender. They lifted their hands. And number four, the Bible says, they bowed down in worship to God with their face to the ground. And this is where the Word of God always leads us. The Word reveals who God is, which then leads us to true worship. Jesus said, They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. They must worship Him in a worship that is led and directed by the Spirit and a worship that is revealed by the truth of Scripture. We don't worship the Bible. everybody know that? As far as this book is concerned, it's just leather and pages. It's just leather and paper. It's not an amulet. It's not a charm. You don't ward off evil spirits with it. You can't put it under your pillow and it keeps keep you from getting nightmares. That's not how it works. You don't get the Bible by osmosis. If I stick it on my head, it'll sink in. It doesn't work that way. It's not a good luck charm. You don't carry it around like a rabbit's foot. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the Bible is a normal book. It's not. But we don't worship the Bible. I don't worship this Bible. What I worship is the God that this Bible reveals. And that's what these people did after hearing the law of God. The Bible even says they wept. I mean, the, 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 the Levites and the leaders had to come along and say, hey, guys, don't weep. Don't weep. What you're hearing is life changing, life transforming. I believe that the reason why they were weeping is because it had been so long since they heard the word of God and there was this revelation of the holiness and the greatness of God and their own sinfulness revealed in the law of God. But they bowed their faces to the ground and they worshipped. This should always be our response to God's word. As it leads us to God's presence, this is our response to God's word. We don't take nonchalantly the presence of God. We don't take nonchalantly that God has invited us in, invited us in to the Holy of Holies. A place where it used to be only the high priest was allowed to go. The high priest was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies. And he only went one time a year. And he wore bangles on the bottom of his his skirt and had a rope tied around his foot. So if they heard the, the bangling stop, they knew the priest had fell over dead and they could drag him out because nobody went into the presence of God except the priest one time a year to sacrifice and put blood on the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant became the mercy seat. And now Jesus dies on the cross and Jesus God from the top to the bottom tears a veil in half and invites everyone into his room, everyone into his presence, everyone into the Holy of Holies. And unfortunately, many times we skip in. We take lightly the presence of God. The people of God bowed their faces to the ground. And this kind of attitude towards the scripture always leads somewhere. Our attitude towards the scripture is always going to lead us someplace. It resulted in joy, which Nehemiah reminded them that is your strength. It led to a celebration. They went home and started celebrating, having a party. Because the law of God, the word of God had been restored. And that included the poor and those who were without. It resulted in a return to the Feast of Booths or a return to the ways of God. Without getting into the Feast of Booths, it was a celebration of them remembering them traveling through the desert. But what that meant was is they were now renewing and reviving what had been missing in their spiritual lives. Why? Because the word of God had brought them revival. Revival is not a series of surfaces. Revival is not somebody laying hands on you and you feeling chill bumps. Revival is not you having good feelings and good emotions. Revival is not about you falling on the ground and rolling around. Revival is about falling in love with the word of God and the presence of God and being transformed by it. The Bible tells us, and I'm almost done here, the Bible tells us that the Scriptures are alive and powerful. It says that it will not, the Word of God will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. The Bible tells us that the grass fades, the flower fades, the grass withers, but the Word of God stands forever. David said, forever, O Lord. Thy Word is settled in heaven. But how it affects our heart is based on the attitude and how we respond to it. The Word of God is alive and powerful. Your attitude is not going to stop that. It will always be alive and powerful. But how it affects us on a personal level is based upon our attitude towards it and how we respond to it. After everyone had left Jesus, he preached a sermon... Everybody walked off because they were offended by his sermon. He preached some hard stuff that didn't make sense to them. They didn't understand it. They didn't like it. They walked off. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, do you want to leave too? And they looked at, Peter looked at him and said, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Peter's attitude was that even if the truth hurts sometimes, even if I don't even understand what you're saying, All I know is, you have the words of eternal life. Help me understand it. If it hurts, if it offends me, help it heal me. If I don't know what's going on, help me wrestle with it until I know. Because only you have the words of eternal life. Peter's attitude was, I may not always like it, but I'm going to listen. I need to hear it. I need to obey it. I need to be changed by it. Because in them is life. If we find ourselves in a spiritual funk today, then we need to check our spiritual attitude and start with how we view the Word of God, most especially His commands. Obedience is the key to life. It is the key to blessing. It is the key to favor. It is the key to the deepest joy fulfillment of your life. Obedience. Obedience is... Our only job is to obey. God does all the results. God takes care of all the results. Our only job is to obey. This is not a take it or leave it. This is life or death. You can take it or leave it if you want, but this is life or death. And so I pray here this morning that we develop an amen attitude and stand strong against the challenge of our faith. That we develop an amen attitude towards God's promises and commands, God's word and God's purpose in our lives. That we develop this amen attitude that says, God, I surrender to your way and your word and your purpose for my life. I surrender to what you have to say, what your commands are, what you require of me. I say amen. And when I pray, And when it's hard, and when I don't understand, and when it seems unfair, and when I don't understand why it's happening the way it's happening, and when it seems like God's a million miles away, and when it seems like my prayer's not being answered the way it's going, I think it needs to be answered, I'm still going to end my prayer with amen. So be it. Not my will, but thy will be done, Jesus prayed. So be it. Amen, God. Amen to my life. Amen to your purpose. Amen to your word. Amen to your wisdom. Amen to your commandments. So be it in my life. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Lord, we prepare our hearts before you today. We're grateful for this day of celebration. We're grateful for this opportunity of freedom to come and, and worship and, and hear scripture and grow. We're grateful, O Lord. For your promises that never change, your promises that are sure, that are reliable, that are fixed, your commandments that bring us joy satisfaction and fulfillment. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would remind us of the power of your word, that you would remind us of the joy found in your word, that you would remind us of the fulfillment found in obedience. And we ask, O God, that you would help us this day when we find ourselves in a spiritual down time, a spiritual dry time, a spiritual funk, when we find ourselves in a place where we don't understand, that, God, you would help us still bow our heads before you and say amen because you are faithful and you are good and that you want the best for our lives. So speak to our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. As we bow our hearts before the Lord today and as you focus your attention on him, Really quickly, if you're in this room today and you're unsure of where you stand with God, I'm asking you to consider your eternity today. Lots of us, were sitting around, we're thinking about what we've got to do tomorrow, what the pressures of our job, the stress of our responsibilities and obligations that are going to hit us tomorrow. But the fact is, you may not have tomorrow. But what you do have a certainty of is an eternity. Eternity. And so are you ready? Are you right with God? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? If you find yourself broken, you find yourself reaching, you find yourself searching, you find yourself empty, He's the one who fills your life. If you feel like your life's in chaos, He's the one that heals. If that's you here this morning, we want to invite you to commit your life to Jesus. To say yes to His grace today. Christian, if you're in here today and you're struggling, you're fighting, you're trying to keep your head above water, you're finding yourself in a place where your faith is weak, victory seems lost. You find yourself in a place that you don't understand, might even seem unfair, and you're really having a hard time saying amen. We want to pray with you today. We want to see your heart encouraged. We want to see you strengthened. want to see your heart healed. We all need His grace. We all need His grace. Whether you're unsaved here today, or whether you know the Lord and you're struggling, we all need His grace. If you need healed today, if you need strengthened today, if you need filled with His Spirit today, we want to pray with you. But I'm about to open this altar to you. If you want me to pray with you, I will. If not, you can come to this altar and kneel and just allow God to wash over you. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Everyone that thirsts, let him come. Drink from the water of life freely. Come.